0: so uh, let me try to shift gears from uh, thinking of all those in need to a church that was in need just like our church and we have been working our way through uh, the seven letters to the seven churches of revelation and uh... we've used the format of back to school and for some reason my iPad's not coming on so don't don't mind the guy freaking out here but you know it'll, it'll come on eventually uh, so, I don't know what's the problem, but um, how many of you remember high school? Anybody? Yeah, some of you still kind of near that that place, yeah? Some of you can't wait till it's over, right? Okay. Uh, perhaps you, in that high school, uh, those years, got to see the guidance counselor. Anybody ever see a guidance counselor? That's the man or woman... Uh, For us, it was on the second floor of the administrative section of our uh, high school that you went to, and they had access to all your grades. They knew the classes you'd taken. they had seen your aptitude tests. So they knew if you were playing dumb or really were dumb, (laughs) I just act natural. Um, Then they also uh, could do some things with, like, career uh, tests, you know, whatever. What areas maybe you have some kind of desire, uh, you know, what do you like and and how you could maybe find a job. They would help you with with potentially college admission uh, or some other uh, life skill that you might have to earn a living once you got out of high school. I have two very (coughs) vivid memories of that type of uh, counselor. One was high school. Uh, where I went to see her and ask her for a letter of endorsement for the United States Air Force Academy, and um, she told me she would not give it to me because it would be a wasted letter, that I would not make it through the Academy, nor ever be in the Air Force. I did not get into the academy. I did I got recommended to the prep school, which is probably a statement there in and of itself. And then the second one is, I've told you before, I was an engineering major for the first year of college before I decided uh, that the Lord was calling me into ministry, and I changed from engineering to history. Um, And I had done quite... uh, How is it that you say, Chief? How are you today? Adequate? I was inadequate as an engineering major, and I had gone to see uh, the faculty advisor for young electrical engineers and uh, getting ready to register for my second semester and I I believe he was under the influence of alcohol because I could smell it Uh, either that or he just needed a stiff drink to talk to me Uh, and he had access to all of my grades and he began to curse at me Uh, he he used words that uh, had he been a, a man of my age I probably would have Struck him or got into some sort of altercation. And he told me basically I was wasting his time and wasting my parents' money on tuition. So vivid moments like that in your memory can be life-changing moments. When you perhaps have to reevaluate, have to have somebody who is in your face, who's told you the truth that you didn't really want to have. Sometimes we call them interventions. Because sometimes you need family interventions. You've got somebody that's so crazy, so off the, the reservation, if you will, that uh, you have to bring them back in and say, this is what's been going on. and This is the way you need to go if you want to stay here. Um, this is a church that Jesus has an intervention with. He is a guidance counselor of this summer school theme that I've been using because he knows their works, he says. And basically, they've been failing out. So he gives them some ideas that they need to change their behavior if they want to have access to him and the Father in glory. So this church at Laodicea is a, we call it the lukewarm church. I I like the term half-hearted, half-hearted church. Because you'll hear me say a little bit later in this sermon, there are a lot of half-hearted Christians that shoe fits, wear it. They're apathetic about their witness. They like to sing songs, and I didn't include the video, but I saw this song, uh, this video clip, and you can Google it, not right now. Songs of the Lukewarm Church. Oh, how I like Jesus. Take my life and let me be. How soft a pillow is our mattress. In other words, how firm a foundation. Yeah. But before we go any further to this uh, church that, I know it's so easy to say it's them that are like that, but if you look closely, you might say it's we that are like that as well. So let me give you a little drive-through, and I've used one of this uh, uh, producer videographer's, videos before of one of the seven churches but i like his and i kind of like the music that's going to make you feel like you're in turkey which you are so if that loads up we'll go from there
1: laodicea is located about a mile south of the lycus river in the lycus valley region of present-day turkey we're about 10 miles northwest of Colossae and about five miles south of hierapolis the other two cities in this famous triangle of ancient wealth Laodicea was annexed by Rome in 133 BC. And because of its location on the main trade route of Asia Minor, it became one of the richest cities in the area. Because of its banking, agriculture, its marble trade, its black wool industry, and its innovative medical school, Laodicea became one of the most important and prominent cities in the area at the time that John wrote Revelation. Laodicea is three square miles of magnificent buildings and shining marble. But it's the unique features of the city, the water system, the textile houses, and the medical school that get alluded to in John's letter. Now the water system here was a marvel of engineering, piping in water from springs nearly five miles away. But the biblical insight comes when you contrast the water here at Laodicea with the hot springs of nearby Hierapolis and the cold mountain water of nearby Colossae. By the time the water reached here in Laodicea with its aqueduct system, the water was lukewarm and filled with mineral deposits which probably made it unpleasant to drink. To the church here, John delivered the following warning from Jesus. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Revelation 3, 17 and 18. The medical school at Laodicea was famous throughout the Roman world and was known for ophthalmology, including an eye salve or ointment that has been mentioned by multiple ancient sources. John even used the original Greek word for this eye medicine. The people of Laodicea were called lukewarm and later wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. They were advised to buy gold to become rich white garments to clothe themselves and salve to anoint their eyes. As such, the letter to the Laodiceans pointed to things that Laodicea was famous for in the ancient world in order to deliver a deeper spiritual message.
0: Well, having that context, having that historical background, hopefully illuminates some of the words I'll read for you again that you heard him read. but it makes you understand that Jesus is talking about their hometown. It's like him coming to Helotus and saying, you call yourself corn, but there's no corn growing here. Some of you don't even like corn. So, here we go. Revelation, the third chapter, verse 14, to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. I've checked your grade card. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I saw one guy's sermon this week. He had a Walmart uh, bag, you know, the bags you get to put your stuff in on this pulpit. He said it's like a barf bag that the Lord was ready to spit them up, throw them up, regurgitate them because they were so distasteful. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, And naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I have overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Stand with me please. We did this last week for the whole thing, but stand for this last verse and say it with me. If it's up there on that one, because my translation is always a little bit different. Whoever, start it to Whoever. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you bow with me, please, we pray. Father, as we look at a church that is so easy for us with our spiritual arrogance to say, we're not like that. We're fully hot for you, Lord. I'm afraid that many of us, if our temperatures would be checked, there's not a fever in here. In fact, at times, we are lukewarm at best. Forgive us for thinking that we're rich, thinking that we have royal garments, thinking that we're in control of all things, thinking that it's by our own hand our successes have come. Remind us that only you can clothe us with robes of glory, that you feed us, Physically and spiritually. That you and you alone can redeem. Be with us in this hour, for we ask it in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Reminding you of the context. This is the, I know it's the seventh letter, but it's the eighth Sunday of summer school. And some of you are going, well, school's already started. Well, I can't help it. I started the sermon series a little before Northside started or in a little after, so bear with me. And using the format that we've used all along, we give a report card to the church. We look at the homework. In other words, what God, through Christ Jesus, is telling each church that they need to do this. And then what is the reward if they will do make these changes, make these adjustments? So let's just, well, hang on. right? Yeah, say right there, What's the worst report card you ever received in high school, grade school, college, wherever? You got a B in trig? That was your worst grade card ever? Oh, sister, you have not sinned like I have. I got a, D in music. a D in music! And she's on the piano! And she's a PhD as well! There is redemption! Four F's in physics. I love you. <laughs> Anybody ever put on academic probation? How many times? You know? <laughs> okay. So so I got to ask this question before I even give you the grade card that, I, you know, we've talked about this. It's really hard. You know, who are you to give a grade card to a church in the Bible? I'm not. I'm just... I will tell you, this is the one church that there are no accolades given. There's nothing that Jesus says you've done right. Nothing. So, where do you think that grade card's going to go? It should be all C's because they're lukewarm. Eh, that's a good point. But I want to ask the question, is a minus D- D-passing? D for diploma. Oh, Alrighty then. Well, uh I, I call that a mercy pass. The D minus is I don't want to see you again next semester. Please go ahead. You know, I don't want to see you in fifth grade again for the fifth time. Go ahead. So uh here's the grade card. Just look at it. So <clears throat> the church at Laodicea, I gave D minuses to everybody. They're they are passing. Uh and I know that we can make the argument that they're average. I I think they're that if you notice the grades that we were giving all the churches prior to today, excluding Philadelphia, they were all C churches. They all got average grades. Last week, I think we gave Laodicea, excuse, yeah, Philadelphia an A, but here Laodicea gets a D minus. Passing, but just barely. Let's stick, take a second and look at government. And and I, because I'm doing this and, and somebody... I think it was Mark, how did I remember my biology teacher? I, I remember all my teachers, maybe because I had a lot of personal time with them all, you know. Dave Bradley was my government teacher, and I found my high school yearbook is online now. And I look, I was what you never do, children or adults, you'll never go back and look at the pictures of the teachers. You look at pictures of the students, right? So this week I was looking at the pictures of the faculty and how young those men and women were. Because I realize I'm much older now than they were when they were teaching me when I was 14 to 18, or 14 to 17. There's that microphone again. But Dave Bradley was uh, my government teacher. He made us handwrite the Constitution and... The uh, Declaration of Independence. Now, granted, I don't think he ever asked you to turn them in. So you might have been writing every class period when he didn't have one, something he wanted you to do. You're just writing and writing and writing and writing. And ask me how much I remember? Not very much. But I would say that it would be a good strategy to start writing Scripture down. Because you will learn when you start looking at some of these words and some of these verses. But the letter to the church here at Laodicea contains uh, no commendation, as I told you. No encouraging words. But they are sadly under the impression that they're in charge of themselves. And let me read verse 14 for you just so we can understand where I'm going with government. These are the words of the amen. That that is a Hebrew word which came into the Greek, which is, I mean, it's transliterated right into from Hebrew to Greek to English, which means truly. And in some churches you grew up, they said amen a lot. And that kind of meant like right on. What you said was good. Sometimes they say hard things, and amen. I love in the black church tradition when the preacher's struggling, help him, Lord. <laughs> you guys should say that every week. <laughs> help him, Lord. He says, These are the words of the truth. These are the ones from the truth. He is the truth, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Laodiceans were independent. When their city was destroyed, and I watched so many videos, I'm not sure if it was in that video or not, but when their city was destroyed in 60-some-odd A.D., they rebuilt it without the help of Rome. They refused support from the government, said, hey, we're wealthy enough, we'll rebuild it ourselves. They didn't want to be indebted to anyone because they were independent. They believed that they were their own kings, their own queens of their own castles. And that is a term we often use. I am the king of my castle, except when mama's home. Yeah, Don't you all think that pretty well? I mean, we have castle laws in Texas and about, what, 20 other states in the nation that if someone comes into your house and you don't have to retreat. Let me tell you, just because the devil has come in and we've often retreated. And I'm not trying to advocate one way or the other what you think about that law, but I, I am advocating that we need to defend this gathering of believers from the evil one. And we need to maintain that he is the ruler over all, not we are the ruler over all. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the ruler. The ruler of the church, the ruler of my followers, the ruler of those that I love, and those that I love. He says, I will rebuke, I will discipline, and I will restore them, or I will shut them out of heaven. Remember the door illustration we used from last week. So D-minus in government, D-minus in chemistry. Bill Bailey was my high school chemistry teacher. And my high school physics teacher. I think it was probably his first job out of high school or out of college. And to my knowledge, that's where he retired from. An excellent chemist. An excellent... That's as far as I can go. Because I didn't get very well in his class. He probably was a great teacher. He was so smart, he didn't understand why I didn't understand it. I mean, I understood things like catalysts, and, and I understood some formulas. And I, I was pretty good in math, so when he gave us the formulas, I could do some of that stuff. But he talked at a level that assumed that we had certain knowledge in chemistry in high school. was the first time I'd ever had chemistry. I don't know if I even learned the periodic chart when I was in grade school. They probably learned that now in kindergarten for all I know. But, I mean, that, that was a struggle for me in high school. And then I get to college as an engineering major and have chemistry there where they combined two semesters in one semester. And Oak Cliff was running for the bus. I mean, the bus was pulling away. So I was struggling a lot. But Bill Bailey just didn't get it. Because, you know, I think it really was the fact that I was a lukewarm student. I mean, I, I wasn't really trying Either way, I wasn't trying to fail, but I sure wasn't trying to succeed. I was just there. I was half-hearted. As I said, the same way that these Laodicean church members were, and perhaps even some church members here today. Well, I mean, not the person you're sitting by. It's surely the people who aren't here, Yeah. You know. <clears throat> I have been to Turkey, thanks to the Air Force, and I have seen the Roman aqueducts that still exist there. Uh, no longer transporting water, but many structures are still there where the water would come into these cities. And as you heard in that video, this city received water from two different sites, one about 10 miles away, one about 6 or 7 miles away. One is from Colossae, which the book Colossians comes from, you know, a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, one getting warm water, one getting cold water. And likewise, as that water moves those distances, by the time it arrives, it's no longer hot, it's no longer cold. And as the video said, it picked up sediment in the way. It wasn't the most tasteful water when it arrived. It had become ambient temperature. The the temperature outside. And as I was, you know, prepping myself to make sure I understand ambient, because I use that term. And Sometimes I use terms that I really don't understand, but I want to make sure if I'm going to use them with you, I really do understand. There's an ambient temperature in here. It's probably whatever... 70-some-odd degrees that we've set it on, but outside there would be an ambient temperature out there. So if you took all this air outside, it would change it outside, but it would also change it inside. So if you can imagine bringing hot water and bringing cold water, it's going to conform to the ambient temperature outside. And that's what Jesus is saying, you as a church, Laodicea, you as a church, potentially First Baptist Church of Holodis, have become like the rest of the world. You have allowed the temperature of the outside world to affect the temperature of what's inside here, and therefore affecting what's in your heart when you leave from here. You have become half-hearted for me. I know your deeds, he says, that you're neither cold nor hot. You've gone native, if you will, and are neither a source of refreshment, because that's what these hot waters were. anybody ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and had one of the hot baths? Shake your heads occasionally. You ever been to England, to Bath, England? I, a couple places I've been didn't take a bath in there. I mean, but just a historic place you go and look. But you take these warm baths for you know helping your joints and all that stuff. I I've thought I've told you this before. I went one time when I was in college to hot springs. And I went with an 80-some-odd-year-old man who took me into these hot springs and we're doing the whole little tour thing, you know, and they want to know, where's your sore parts? I'm like, I was like, I'm college. I'm like, I don't have any sore parts. I'm like looking at these guys. You got any sore knees? You got sore hips? No. Sore shoulders? No, I don't have that. But ask somebody about 80 years old. Well, I got a lot of sore pieces. And they want to know where to wrap them up, you know. So I'm like, wrap me up all over. So he's saying, you no longer have... Spiritual healing help in the word if you've become lukewarm. And if you want nothing better than cold, refreshing water when you're hot, right? Unless you're from Europe and you like room temperature stuff. But if you want cold water to refresh you, and that, that's what he's saying spiritually. You can be cold water that way to refresh, but he's giving us two extremes. And he said, you're neither one. You're somewhere in the middle. Halfway Christians. Medium Christians. Medium Christians. Moderate Christians. To those, he says, I will vomit you and spit you out of my mouth. That's the Greek translation. When I was in school and you threw up, here came the janitor with kitty litter. Back in uh, District 81, a public school in Jonesboro, Illinois, they brought sawdust bunch of sawdust, and usually it was cedar sawdust, because it had a little better smell. It took that, whoo, aroma, changed it to, hmm, was cedar, and hmm, and then he was able to sweep that up. I don't know what he did with that stuff. Surely he didn't, you know, put it in the trash can in the teacher's classroom. Jesus says, that's what you're like for me. It it, it, it is repugnant. It's something I don't want to even have to deal with, because you're not for me. Somebody said, well, and this messes a lot of commentators up. You mean he really would rather be against him, cold, if you want to use it that way, versus hot for him? I I think he's saying, I wish you would be for me, period. And I think that's the best way to illustrate that. I I don't think that Jesus advocates for any of us to be outside of his fold. He longs for all of us to come to know him. But it is so much easier to define those who are for him and those who are against them when they're living in those directions versus the one like the church of people who was a, who looked like they were awake but really were asleep, right? D-minus in chemistry, D-minus in economics. Carol Belcher was my economics teacher. He was a World War II Navy veteran, and nothing would ever rock his ship. I think we could have set the church, or the school on fire, and he wouldn't have cared. I mean... He was just a laid-back guy. He had been the basketball coach, and I think after he didn't win anymore, they made him the economics coach, and uh, great guy. But here, this church believes that their wealth is, is all by their own benefit, and Jesus really strips them down and, and addresses them and says, You're really poor. In fact, they thought because they had a medical school. We, we're known throughout the land because of our eye salve, and Jesus is telling them, You're really blind, and I'll give you the right eye salve. He says, you're you're really poor, and I will make you wealthy. Hmm. Basically, the Laodiceans thought they lived charmed lives. Let me go out on a limb. Holotus is a pretty charmed place to live. Are we guilty of being like this church? Got a nice place to live. Food in the refrigerator. Car's not too bad. Mm. Nice high school, nice grade school, nice middle school. I'm in Northside Independent School District, the desired area. They had it all. Material wealth, bodily health, the finest clothes. They said, I'm rich and I don't need a thing. What happens to us when we think we have it all? We have no need of him. I'll answer that question for you. When you think you really don't need anything from anybody else, and when you know, even if I fail at something, there's always something else I can do, it can be a spiritual handicap, a moral handicap. And it makes it harder for us to relate To God and to other people. When we think we really don't need him. And I pray you don't have the life event. That causes you to find out what ground zero is like. But he is saying to us. Let me make you rich. Let me truly clothe you. Oh you have a fine textile industry. There are some commentators that say that wool that they had there was black wool. And he is comparing The robes, the white robes with the black wool. Let me give you something better to wear, not as in black and white, and it's not a racial thing. It is just a change. Let me show you a different way. Put on my garment. One commentator I read said Despite their banks, they were beggars. Despite their famous eye salve, they were blind. Despite their prosperous clothing factories, they were naked. This church was bankrupt, blind, naked, and they didn't know it. Let us pray for spiritual poverty that brings us to Him. Let Him remove the cataracts of evangelism from our eyes. Let our naked hearts do the homework. He asked us to do, and that's the next thing. And some of you are going, is he ever going to get done? It's almost 12 o'clock. It is 12 o'clock. Sorry, another that wakes you up. Reread verse 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Let's just go quickly through these. Repent. That is common to at least four of these seven letters he is saying to repent. Anytime you've done something that you know, distance you from the Lord, repent. He knows your works. He knows your deeds. So repent. You're not going to surprise him when you say you've done this. The surprising thing may be that you actually confess it. Lord, I'm sorry for living this way, for doing that. And he says, listen. Listen for my voice. And then open the door. Now, how many of you have seen this picture? are these pictures. One's a stained glass. I mean, the church I grew up in, I've, I think there was a picture like the one on the, the left, you know, in most of the elementary classrooms. And, it, and now as you look at it, Caucasian, so wrong. I, as far as the proper demographics it would be of the day. But in any event, this is what most of us think when we read this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open up, I'll go in and sup with him, right? I mean, that's what comes to our minds. And this is quite a debate for many commentators. Is this a statement of evangelism? If you'll just, you know, here I am wanting to come in, if you'll just let me in. Well, th- remind you, this is a letter to a church of lukewarm Christians. So they've made some sort of agreement, some sort of relationship statement with him. But now they've pushed him outside. He, he's been outside the church. They've let Satan in. And, and God, you, you can be outside. So behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll let me in, some make the reference, I'll come in and sup with him, to last supper, to the Last Supper or communion. If you'll let me come in, I truly will be with you, and we will dine together. We will understand what it is to know the sacrifice, forgiveness, and redemption that I bring, if you only have a relationship with me. So if you do those things, repent, listen to his voice, and open the door. Finally, here is your reward. Now, the teacher's pet, if you were not the teacher's pet, was the, how did you say that chief? The apple polisher. I was earthier and I said the brown noser. The one who hovers around the teacher, right? Well, really being a teacher's pet should not be a bad term at all because the, I don't know. I'm not a teacher. Those of you who teach, you know, there's the child who does what he or she's supposed to do, it, it, you know, is there, is attentive, does homework. I mean, wants to do well. I, I can see why you would want that person near the front. Now, often I sat near the front because I was in trouble. So I got to sit next to the teacher's pet, which put me pretty close to the teacher. But Jesus is saying, if you do these things, I will let you set. Look at that verse. I think it's verse uh, 22. To him who overcomes, I will give him the right to set with me on my throne, just as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Teacher's pet. Strive to do what he's asked you to do. And what's a great thing is maybe the teachers only have one teacher's pet per class. The Lord says, I want you all. I love you all. I want you all to be next to me. You can be a congregation of teacher's pets if you'll do what I want you to do, what I've called you to do, to repent, listen, and open the door and let me in. And finally, I stumbled across this. This was in the Washington Post. I think there's a picture there. The young man on the right, uh, and I probably would mispronounce it, Peters, um, is dressed up. This is in a high school graduation in Louisiana, just outside of Baton Rouge. I can't pronounce the city. Uh, It's probably French. Um, and he was all ready to go. That's him posing at home. And when he gets to the high school, the uh, you know, because I can remember there are adult teachers know, faculty that are standing there lining them up and says, you cannot come in. Why? Well, you violated the dress code. Well, I was supposed to have dark shoes on. Yes, I have dark shoes on. But those are tennis shoes and they have white soles and you can't come in. And he was totally turned around. And in the article, he talks about... My mom and dad were going to be there. And what were they going to think? Because they knew they'd drop me off. And you know, they're not going to see me walk across the stage and all this. You know, super upset. Enter John. John is a teacher's assistant. His daughter was graduating at that school. Found out the situation. Tried to talk to the faculty advisor to let him in. Nope, we got a rules here. We got a standard here. We're not going to let him in. So John takes his shoes off. That's why he's sock-footed. He wears a size 11 I think 11 and a half, and the various wears size 9, so the young man literally slid across the stage <laughs> in the uh, teaching assistant's shoes. Jesus says, I will give you a new robe to wear. I'll give you new shoes to wear if you simply will ask me to come in. Let me come in. I'm at the door knocking. So, if I stepped on your toes today to say, we're more like this church than what we ever wanted to admit. Turn up the heat. Let him revive us that we're a little warmer in our faith. Think to yourself in the past week how many people did you actually talk to Jesus about outside of Sunday morning, Sunday school, or refuel? then you might be able to answer that question, have I been lukewarm this week for my Savior? Stand we please. we pray. Our Father, as we come now to a time of invitation, we ask you to let your Holy Spirit move freely in our midst. If there's someone here who has been lukewarm and they've just not really lived for you, I pray that this would be the day in which they listen, which they repent, and they open the door for you. Father, the reward that you have promised us To put on a robe, to be wealthy with you, to have our eyes open. What wonderful things you have in store for us if we'll only believe and live out this faith that we claim that we have. Let your Holy Spirit move in our midst. If there's someone who wants to come here to these steps just to pray and leave something here at the altar, we ask you to let them feel the freedom to do so. Whatever decision there is, Lord, we ask your people to move. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.